it is appropriate that our chapter of scripture that we're taking this morning, Lamentations chapter 3, is about a man coming to the end of himself, lacking hope, lacking endurance, and then reaching a wonderful turning point. So Jason read to you verses 1 to 15 earlier in the service. We're now going to read together Lamentations chapter 3, verses 16 to 33. Um, The words will appear on the screen again, but if you have a Bible at home, do turn to Lamentations chapter 3, and I'm reading from verse 16. He, that is God, has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from the heart or grieve the children of men. Lord, thank you to your word to us, your word spoken by the Holy Spirit in the book of Lamentations. We pray now you would speak to us. We thank you that this word is not dead. It's not just words written on a page, but this word is is alive and active and by the power of the Holy Spirit you apply these words to our lives and I pray you would do that for your glory now during this time in Jesus name. Amen. All I want to do today is walk you through those verses that I just read to you. So I'm going to preach on verses 16 to 33, what I've just read. And in some ways, I don't need points this morning because the story tells itself. As we walk through these verses together, we're going to see the pain and sorrow of this man and then the turning point and what he remembers and how he's comforted by the love and mercy of God. So let's begin by looking at verses 16 to 18 together, where the writer of Lamentations, possibly the prophet Jeremiah, writes this. He, God, has made my teeth grind in gravel. He's comparing his situation to eating gravel, imagining putting gravel in your mouth and and crunching down on it. Not a pleasant experience. And and so the writer is saying, that's what my situation is like right now. The city of Jerusalem has been destroyed and I'm so sad. I'm so sorrowful. My, My situation and circumstances are so difficult. It's like eating gravel, not pleasant at all. 
he has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. The destruction of Jerusalem, the holy city, and the writer's home, the destruction of that city has emotionally broken this man. And this is what often happens. This, this can sometimes happen when someone suffers deep sadness or prolonged stress and trial. The kind of emotional response this man is describing in verses 17 and 18. This is what can happen when we suffer deep sadness. He says, doesn't he, there's no peace in my soul. My soul is bereft of peace. He is constantly wrestling with anxiety, churning over his sorrow and his struggle. In his innermost being, his soul, he does not find rest and relaxation, but further anguish. In his mind and heart, he's constantly regurgitating the struggles that his city Jerusalem has gone through, his sorrow that he is feeling. So there's no peace in his soul. There can also be moments when our sorrow is so great, the clouds over our lives feel so dark and heavy that you think, like his next phrase that he says, I've forgotten what happiness is. He's a very, very sad man when he writes these verses. And in that place of sorrow, in that place of lacking peace, in that place of forgetting what happiness is, your endurance can perish. Your endurance can die. Being sad and going through trials and difficulties is very tiring and there can come a, come a time when you go, my endurance has all been used up. I've in, been enduring this for days, weeks, months. I just have no energy left for this. We can say things like that in the midst of sorrows. And I'm sure there are some people who've been saying things like that um, during lockdown, during this COVID pandemic. And when your endurance dies, when your, when your endurance perishes, often hope dies as well. He says, doesn't he, my endurance has perished and my hope from the Lord with it as well. I used to have hope from God, but now I'm so tired. I, I'm so devastated. I've been so It's been so draining, holding on for so long that I've now let go of that hope and it has departed from me. This man in Lamentations 3 has reached rock bottom. He's in a, in a dark an extremely sad place, without endurance, without hope, without peace, and without happiness. And I, I think there are probably many of us who can relate to this situation and the feelings that this man is expressing. Particularly verse 18, I think might resonate with lots of us at this time. Key workers, for 11 months now, you have been working hard in a stressful, difficult situation with the circumstances constantly changing as the government changes its guidelines and changes its rules. 11 months of hard work and endurance. It might be easy for you to say my endurance has perished. I've reached the end of myself. I have no energy left. I have no endurance left. 
And for non-key workers, being in lockdown is tiring as well. And I think there are many people around the country right now who are saying, my endurance is gone. I, I've, I've, tr I've gone through this for a long time, and, and now I want to give up. My endurance has gone. I think that I'm not making excuses for those people, but I, I think that is the reason why some people are just ignoring the, the rules, because they've endured, and now their endurance has perished. Verse 18 certainly resonates with some of the things I've been feeling and possibly resonates with many of you. In verse 20, the writer goes on to say, My soul continually remembers the wormwood and the ghoul, the bitter things, the struggles, the things that he's suffering with. He just continually remembering these things over and over again. And as a consequence, his soul is bowed down within him. He's in a downward spiral of grief and then he remembers more grief and more sorrow and more suffering and slowly he spirals down and down and down. And again I think I think many of us have gone through a similar experience over the last 11 months. Struggle as the pandemic is announced and we go on go into lockdown for the first time and then we start thinking about all the things that we've lost and the things that we're missing and then there's kind of a, a glimpse of hope over the summer in 2020 when the restrictions start to lift but as we go back into winter those restrictions come again and the situation worsens and we and we go into this spiral of grief of lacking peace happiness endurance and hope just like this man in lamentations chapter but then, a turning point comes for this man. In verse 21, this is what he writes. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. That's the turning point. He, he's in this downward spiral of grief, and then he remembers something. Then something is called to mind. What is it? that he has called to his mind? What is it that pulls him out of this downward spiral of grief? The answer, the character and person of the Lord our God. He remembers, doesn't he, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is a simple but wonderful and critically important truth that all Christians can cling to at this time. God's love for you is steadfast and will never cease if you're a born-again Christian. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, it says in John 3.16. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given eternal love. Uh, well, you have been given eternal love. You've been given eternal life, and that life flows from love. That's the reason why God sent his son into the world, because of love. And so all who believe in Christ receive eternal life and eternal, never-ceasing, steadfast love from God. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life 
for his friends. It says in John 15, verse 13, Jesus says those amazing words, of course, speaking about himself. For he died on the cross for all who would believe in him. The love of God, the love of Christ for you is steadfast. It will never cease. It's the greatest love that has ever been shown in the death of Christ. And that means because God's love for you is steadfast, because God's love for you will never cease, that means every trial and every circumstance that you go through can be interpreted, understood and experienced through the lens of God's love. As you think about the COVID pandemic right now, think about it through the lens of God's steadfast and never ceasing love for you. The the pandemic hasn't impacted your life. You aren't going through sorrow and sadness and trials now because God has stopped loving you. That's not, that's impossible. God will never stop loving you. His steadfast love never ceases, says the the verse. So when we think about the pandemic, we think about all the trials or other trials that are in our lives right now. We shouldn't think, oh, God has stopped loving me. We should never think that. Instead, we should start asking questions like, how is God showing his love to me during this time? What is he teaching me? How is he leading me? How has he been protecting me? What blessings has he put in my life even now as I struggle through these trials? And so if you're a Christian, know this, God loves you and he always will. What a wonderful thing to remember. What a wonderful thing to bring to mind in the midst of sorrows as the writer of Lamentations does. If you're not a Christian, Enter into this love today by believing in Jesus Christ. If you believe in his life, if you believe in his death, and you believe in his resurrection from the dead, you will enter into this love, this steadfast love that never ceases, that transforms every difficult circumstance. I'm not saying you won't go through trials and difficulties and sorrows, but in those trials you will know God's never ceasing love for you, and you will experience his love. It's a wonderful thing. You will not regret a decision to believe in Jesus Christ, because you will experience this steadfast love of God, the creator of the universe. So this is what this is what the writer of Lamentations calls to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And then he builds on this point by saying God's mercies never come to an end. God's mercies never come to an end from a time point of view. There isn't going to be a moment where God goes, right, now I'm I'm not going to be merciful to you. Now I'm not going to pour out mercies upon you. Now's the time in history where my mercies stop. No, his mercies never come to an end. For an eternity, God will be showing his mercy, showering blessings upon your life. But God's mercies never come to an end in another way as well. If you were to list out all the mercies of God in your life, the list would be everlasting. It would go on forever and ever because God's mercies are new every morning. Every breath that you breathe is a mercy from God. Everything you eat is a mercy from God. The shelter, your homes, the places where you live, a mercy from God. The love that God shows to you every second, every minute, every hour, every day is God's mercy in your life. Truly, God's faithfulness 
is great. His steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. But verse 24 sums up the greatest mercy, the greatest compassion, the greatest gift of all. The writer of Lamentations in verse 24 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. You know, human beings are in into a, a, a sinful habit of comparing our portion in life with other people's portions in life. We think things like, he has a bigger and better family than me. He has a nicer house. He has more money. He has an easier job or he has a better career than me, etc., etc. We're comparing our portions. We're saying his portion's bigger than my portion. And particularly when things are taken away, when our, when our freedom is limited because of a lockdown, for example, the temptation is to start thinking about other people's um, successes, other people's portions. We focus on the things that we have lost and the things that other people have. It's a sinful habit of human beings to compare portion sizes. I want you to imagine I cook for you a wonderful Christmas dinner which I did this year for the first time, actually, cook Christmas dinner. And, and I load up your plate, and onto your plate, I put the whole turkey onto your plate. And then just a, you know, a pyramid of roast potatoes, and then, hun not hundreds, because they wouldn't, but loads of pigs in blanket. I know for many people, the pigs in blanket are their favourite part of the Christmas dinner. So you've got a whole turkey, you've got roast potatoes, you've got pigs in blanket, and then let's put some healthy stuff on there as well. So there are Christmas parsnips and, and honey-cooked carrots. And onto your plate, I also put seven Brussels sprouts. I'm not just serving you, though. I'm also serving Christmas dinner to your friend. And so I've loaded up your plate with all that that stuff and then what I do is I take five of your Brussels sprouts and I put them onto your friend's plate and then I serve that to him that's all he gets he gets the five Brussels sprouts you've got this plate laden with food he gets five Brussels sprouts in that circumstance it would be utterly ridiculous of you to turn round and to moan and say I've only got two Brussels sprouts left he's got five how come he's got five Brussels sprouts and I've only got two this is completely unfair or maybe you wouldn't say that out loud but you'd think how outrageous it was that your friend got five Brussels sprouts and you only got two it would be ridiculous in that circumstance wouldn't it to, to be disappointed to be moaning at the portion that you have been given that's exactly what we do, though, because the Lord is our portion. We have God. He is our friend. He is our helper. He is our saviour. He is our father. He is ever present in our life. He is all powerful. He is all compassionate. He's He's a great portion. He's an awesome portion. He's the whole turkey. He's the roast potatoes. He's the parsnips. He's the pigs in blanket. He's the real deal. The very best Christmas dinner you can possibly imagine. That's what you have in God. Everything you could possibly want in him. He's the source of life. He's the source of joy. He's the source of mercy. He, he's an everlasting God. He draws us into eternity. He gives us peace. He gives us patience. He, he leads us in the paths of 
righteousness. He's the whole deal. He's the greatest portion. And yet we say, yeah, but he's got five Brussels sprouts. If you have God, if you're a Christian and you're obsessed with someone else's money or or bigger house or better job, then that's what you're doing. Yeah, but he's got five Brussels sprouts. Christians, the Lord is our portion. He is everything we need and more. Because with God, we can always have hope. This is why prayer is so glorious and why to neglect prayer is such a travesty. Prayer is consciously enjoying relationship with God, speaking to him, hearing from him, being reminded of his steadfast love, wonderful mercy and his great faithfulness. And so what we do when we fail to pray is we hurt ourselves. Instead of enjoying the wonderful roast dinner that we have been given, that we have been served in God himself, we we ignore, we ignore it. We walk away and let it go cold. And so given that the Lord is our portion and he is everything we need and more, I really want to, uh, to encourage you to pray, to enjoy God himself. He's given us himself. Isn't it wonderful? You know, this week on, on Tuesday evening and Thursday evening and Sunday after the service, I enjoyed some fantastic prayer meetings on Zoom with my brothers and sisters. And each of those moments, those three times during the week, each of them were precious moments where others reminded me about the goodness of God, about the mercies of God, about the faithfulness of God. And I left those prayer meetings feeling uplifted and encouraged because others had been worshipping God, even through their trials and difficulties. And we share prayer requests and we pray for difficult things. And yet, Each of those prayers comes with a hope because of the power and the compassion of God. And so to neglect those moments of being uplifted through prayer, I think, is a mistake. But also private prayer. When I pray privately, yes, often I begin by praying for things that are difficult in my life and struggles, and I focus on them. But as I pray, God's Holy Spirit moves in my heart, directs my attention to Jesus, my Saviour. And I find myself praising God, lifting him up, focused on his great love and his great mercy. God is our portion Let's enjoy his presence through prayer. God is our portion. His love is steadfast and never ceases. His mercies will never come to an end. His faithfulness is great. And so let's enjoy him and remind ourselves of his character, especially through prayer. In verses 25 to 30, the writer begins to reflect that there is good that comes out of waiting and suffering. It's amazing, really, that just a few verses earlier, he's saying, I have no hope. And now he's thinking, actually, when I, it's good to wait. He says in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. We must wait on the Lord. We must seek him. Are we doing that through these circumstances? Are we setting aside time and just waiting on God? Lord, meet with me. Speak to me. 
and then being quiet and waiting. And then spend time opening the Bible, expecting God to speak to us, expecting him to comfort us, expecting him to show us his steadfast love. And and then in, in verse 26, the writer of Lamentations talks about specifically waiting for salvation. In this context, when, when the writer of Lamentations uses the word salvation, I think he's thinking about salvation for Jerusalem. He's thinking that the ruin Jerusalem has suffered will one day come to an end and there will be a restoration. For him, that's what salvation will have been, a restoration of the city of Jerusalem. And so what he's saying is, it's good to be in this season waiting for Jerusalem to be restored. Isn't, that's kind of quite an odd thing to say. It's, it's good to be waiting for this thing that's coming in the future. And I can draw from this verse, I think we should draw from this verse, that we can say it's good to be in this season we're in, waiting for the pandemic to end, waiting for enough people to be vaccinated that we can return to some sense of normality, waiting for this COVID virus to be defeated and rendered unpowerful. It's good to be in this season of waiting. God has good for us during this time. I think there are some people who are just like, we've just got to get through this, and then there'll be something good at the end. And I think the Bible, and I think God would say, no, there's good for you now. My steadfast love and my mercies are for you now. I have good things to teach you now. Of all the good things that God might be teaching us and speaking to us about, one of the things that I think is most important is a stripping back of lots of things that we have loved and enjoyed in order that we might enjoy God himself more. When you think about the things you can't do, when you think about the things that you enjoy that have been taken away, start thinking of this this way. Yes, that's been taken away, but I have God and I can enjoy him forever. His love and his mercies and his faithfulness in my life. That's a very, very important lesson for us to learn. When things are taken away, one of the reasons they're taken away is so that we would enjoy and love God even more. The man whose hope was dead in verse 18 can now say, let him put his mouth in the dust. In other words, let suffering come. My hope will not die. I I did not have hope in verse 18, but now I've remembered God's love, and so I will still have hope. And the reason he can have hope is expressed in verse 31. The Lord will not cast off forever. And so I want to end this sermon with a reflection on verses 31 to 33. Now, Verses 31 to 33 of Lamentations chapter 3 are right at the centre of the book. This is the middle point of the book of Lamentations. And the Jews often used a structure where the point right at the middle was the most important point. It's called a chiasm or a chiastic structure. You know, in the West, we tend to put our most important point in the introduction and in the conclusion. So the start and the end are the most important. But um, Jews had a more circular way of reasoning. So you'd kind of work your way in to the very middle where you'd find the key message and the key point of a text. And the writer of Lamentations has 
in some ways used chiastic structures. And so this point is right at the centre of the book. And it begins with what I just read to you, verse 31. The Lord will not cast off forever. The invasion that has come to Jerusalem, the pain that has come upon the holy city is not forever. There will be a restoration. The separation between Jerusalem and God, because Jerusalem has sinned, will not last forever. God will not cast off his people forever. He will return. He will restore this city. And the same is true of this season in COVID. COVID is not forever. There will be a time of restoration. There will be a time of healing. The Lord's not going to make this last forever into eternity. No, there will come an end to COVID. There will be moments of wonderful rejoicing and celebration to come in the future, here on earth or in the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus returns and sets all to right. We must remember that. The Lord, this, this season, this difficulty, this suffering is not forever. No difficulty, no trial, no sorrow will be forever if you are a Christian because Jesus is coming back and when, when tears will be wiped away, There'll be no disease, there'll be no death, and all will be well in the world. Then the writer writes verse 32. Though he, God, cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. You'll notice in that verse, it is God who causes grief. The destruction from Jerusalem came from God himself. He has caused the sorrow in this writer's life. Covid also is under God's sovereignty. And so there are some preachers and Christian teachers who, who say God does not cause grief, God does not cause pain. Well, that, that's not true, actually, according to the Bible. God does cause grief, but he doesn't only cause grief. He also has compassion, according to that verse. And this compassion comes from who he is. It comes from the abundance of his steadfast love. And verse 33 teaches us something truly important. It's the point I want to finish on today. Um, verse 33. Theologically, and in terms of understanding God's character, I absolutely adore verse 33. And I hope by the time I finished explaining it to you, you too will love this verse. Because what verse 33 says is that God does not afflict or cause grief from his heart. When God afflicts human beings, when he causes grief, he does so because of sin and justice and judgment. I, I said this in previous weeks, but all sin, all sorry, all grief and all sorrow in the world is a consequence of sin. It's God in his goodness, in his justice, and um, penalising human beings for the sin they've committed. There was no pain, there was no human death before Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the Garden of Eden, but when they disobeyed, they brought death into the world. They brought sorrow into the world. And so all sorrow, all grief, all affliction is a consequence of human rebellion against God. 
actually, in that sense, we can think of affliction and griefs as a mercy from God. There's a reason for affliction. There's a reason that COVID might be in the world. It's that people would see that the world's not quite right. When we look at the, this pandemic spreading across the globe, when we, when we feel its, its impact here in the UK in such a sharp way, we go, the world's not right. It's not perfect. Something needs to change. That's a message from God saying, Yes, you're right. It's not right. The world isn't right because of your sin. Therefore, turn to me. Believe in me. Receive forgiveness for your sin. Receive the promise of eternal life. Enter into relationship with me. And so affliction and grief are a signal from God that we need to turn to Jesus and believe in him. And I believe that's true of COVID. I believe there are many people who will meet them in, in months and years time and they'll say 2020 was the key year for me. The COVID pandemic was the moment when God began to speak to me to reveal that I needed something more from the world, that there was something wrong with the world and I needed salvation. I believe we'll have those conversations and we'll say, wow, God was doing something in 2020. God was doing something through COVID. He was speaking to those who do not yet know him, calling them to believe in him and to hope for a greater future and a new heavens and a new earth. When God causes grief and affliction, then it's a just and good response to sin, but not from his heart. Affliction and grief doesn't come from God's heart. God's heart is to show compassion to his children. When God shows compassion, it comes from who he is. It comes from his heart. It comes from his abundance of steadfast love. Do you see that? God creates grief and struggle and conflict in a different way to the way he creates goodness and compassion and love. This this goodness and compassion comes from who he is, from his heart. He's a loving God. He's a good God. God is love, it says in 1 John. And so out of himself, he produces an abundance of steadfast love. He produces an abundance of compassion, an abundance of mercy. It's from his heart. It's from who he is. Whereas when he's causing grief, it's almost in a sense reluctantly. I have to do this because I'm a good God and a just God. And so I'm bringing grief in order that some might believe in me and come to receive from my mercy and my love. That's from my heart. This is not out of my heart. This is, this is something different. God does cause grief, but not from his heart. That's what verse 33 says. And so this is, this is what I want to leave, we, leave you with, is a picture of who our God is. There is grief in this world. There is affliction in this world, but there is also hope. Where does this hope come from? The hope comes from who God is, because he is a God of an abundance of steadfast love. His steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I have hope. I have hope through this pandemic. I have hope in every trial and every difficult situation because I call to mind the steadfast love of God. He does not not afflict or cause grief from his heart. No, compassion and mercy flow from his heart into our lives. And if you're a Christian, the love will flow into your life forever and ever and ever. Let's have hope, brothers and sisters. Non-Christians believe in Christ, receive this glorious love and be filled with hope from Jesus.
Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your steadfast love and wonderful mercies that never come to an end. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord God. Your, your, your faithfulness is so great. Lord, you are our portion. You are our great feast. You have given us yourself. You dwell with us in the Holy Spirit. You came to earth in the person of Christ and gave yourself up upon the cross for our sin. Then you rose again in glory that we might have eternal life. You are our heavenly Father and we love you. We adore you, Lord. We're sorry for the times when we've neglected you, where we've compared our portion to other people's portions and we've lusted after five Brussels sprouts rather than enjoying the, the feast you have given us. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that in your heart, at your core, you are a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of mercy. And so, Lord, we choose to interpret and understand what's going on in the world right now through the lens of your love. And we pray, therefore, that we'll be men and women of prayer, men and women of worship, men and women who are faithful to you, full of joy and full of hope, even at a time like this, because of who you are. Lord, we love you now and always. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.